Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Weird World Podcast. My name's Carrie. Hi, I'm Dean. And Dean is going to give us a little bit of a cryptid corner. Yeah, a little bit of one. An actual whole cryptid <laughs> corner, Carrie. <laughs> a whole cryptid corner, which is a little bit of a weird world. Yes. That's what I meant. Try to keep them brief. We call them cryptid corner. This is cryptid corner two. The Buru. The what? The Buru. B-U-R-U. Never heard. It starts with a German professor named Christoph von Fiora Heimendorf. <laughs> sure. I, again, as you know from the show, phenomenal name. We have a lot of phenomenal names here. He was an anthropologist who visited some of the isolated valleys of northeastern India, that area south of the Himalayas, mm-hmm. during World War II. In 1944, he visited the, I guess, Rilo Valley, R-I-L-O, in the rugged mountainous forests of India's northeast. The northeast of India is, and most of really the whole northern part of India below the Himalayas is actually very heavily forested. It's high, but it's, it's, it can be in, in, the, in parts of it, in the relatively low parts, it can really swampy and, and kind of rainforest type environments. They're a very rugged country. There, he listened to the folk tales from some of the hill tribes. Most, by the way, were still living in the same patterns that their ancestors had, had for thousands of years. And in his report that he published later on, he, there was this cryptic kind of little portion of it where he said that, quote, the bottom of the valley, according to local tradition, was once a marshy swamp inhabited by lizard-like monsters, end Ooh. quote. He talked a little bit about this, but it was just, when this paper got more widely disseminated after the war, or at, at the end of World War II, it attracted the attention of other anthropologists. It excited the imagination of one in particular. His name is Charles Stoner, S-T-O-N-O-R. And so at the end of the World War II, about 1945 or so, he teamed up with J.P. Mills and other anthropologists, and they headed out again into the northern wilds of India to find this creature that Führer Heimendorf had talked about, which... I mean, they were convinced. This is if this is something real at all. What he, what Heimendorf said, is this is new to science. Yeah, this is a creature, and it was not. You know, it was very rational. This is again a very little explored by Westerners part of India. Very rugged, lots of little isolated valleys. So they, I mean, he was a serious. Stoner was a serious professional anthropologist. He wasn't some. You know, he wasn't a cryptozoologist, for instance. Yeah. So the duo hacked their way into the far northeastern corner of India. They came to the place called again Rilo Valley, and they took a look around. This part of this part of the Himalayas, so think of the Himalayas that we know of. You think of the Himalayas, you think of these barren, snow-covered peaks, right? Very barren. Not, well, just below that is a, is a secondary zone that's kind of high mountains, but more like, but heavily, heavily, heavily forested. And below that, again, is this for like 1,600 miles across mm-hmm. India is are these areas that are a little lower, still rugged, still hilly and mountainous, but like swampy, marshy valleys and rugged forested hills. And this was the Rilo Valley was one of a valley within that part of India. The Middle Himalayas, by the way, which is that area, that forested area that's below the the peaks, yeah. just as an aside, yeah. almost certainly where the Yeti, the abominable snowman, yeah. would have to actually live and feed. You know, he's always you always think of it as living on these 
you know, these mountains at right. the tops of Himalayas. Wow, there's nothing to eat there. Yeah, <laughs> there's no shelter whatsoever. Yeah. So undoubtedly, which could explain why the Yeti is not as you know not seen as much because he's in in forested cover ninety eight percent of the time, but unlikely. But that's a different podcast. Yes, it so is. So let's move on. Will that be our next cryptid corner? Probably not. Okay. That Yeti? Oh, yeah. oh, sister. That's at least one episode. Are you kidding okay. me? We've already talked about the Yeti, too, by Tom Slick and yes. some other times. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about it again. So Stoner and Mills get there, and they interview a bunch of the tribal people that lived in this very fertile valley. They cultivated rice. And these people, again, they spoke of this massive creature that had lived in the watery, swampy lowland of the valley that traced really the entire bottom of their valley and had done so and was there already when they arrived you know, whenever their tribe arrived, we don't know, like hundreds, maybe even thousands of years ago. Mm-hmm. And this was an amazing creature. It was 12 to 15 feet long. Yeah. So it's a huge, seemingly reptilic beast, the way it was described, but it was pretty much entirely aquatic. It lived in the water that almost never came out of the water. Yeah. It would occasionally push its three foot neck up and away from its body, almost like a turtle, yeah. and then pop its almost two-foot-long head up over the water and let out this incredibly loud, bellowing roar that some people think may have given it, it its name, the Buru. So, I don't know. Buru. That was pretty good. <laughs> I should record that for a, like a Buru mating call kind of a thing. It was said to be something like almost a cross between a crocodile and a snake, the nose was flat on its end of his, uh, of his jaw. His eyes were deeply set into that massive head of its. Yeah. It had a very reptilian forked tongue. That's important. And at the front of this creature's jaw were two upper and two lower canines. So sharp teeth, just two, two upper, two lower. Yeah. All the other teeth were universally, by folks who had seen them, said to be flat. Huh. It sounds to me like grinding yeah. teeth which is, I think is, is particularly important. The burger's skin was supposedly like that of kind of a scaleless fish, but for everything I've read, I've really only one in, uh, accounting described that. Usually the, the skin isn't described at all, really. Yeah. So I don't know. That may not be accurate. Because you know, a scaleless fish, you know, just sort of a, you know, a slippery fish, like a right. catfish or something like yeah. catfish. So, you know, um, but that may or may not be true. I don't know. It's, it's hard to say if that's true or not. Yeah. Everything else, though, was very consistent. The descriptions were very consistent. So very, very dark. Its coloration, almost like a blue-black, but it would have some whitest blotches on it and a very a lighter belly, Yeah, which is in keeping with that, you would think. Its body and tail were kind of roundish. They're streamlined, presumably, for quick underwater. swimming yeah. underwater. Its tail, that tail was five feet long and had a row of armored plates along it. The length of the body had three rows of like bumps or maybe ridges and two rows along both sides. Well, one row along either side and then a row of those bumps or ridges along the back as well. So three in total. So it does sound very much like crocodile or alligator. Sounds crocodile-ish. The teeth sound super not crocodile-ish though. And the behavior sounds really, really, I mean, it, it, well, we'll get to that in a second here. Okay. But the legs were kind of stumpy for its body size, maybe like a foot and a half long. Each of the paws had very thick, heavy claws. Some describe the front paws 
claws, I should say, in a way that makes them sound a lot like a mole, which, as you know, is a burrowing animal. So, yeah. so they may have been used for burrowing. Hmm. These very, you know, very, very strong claws. Yeah. There were few, if any, stories of attacks or any kind of aggressiveness to humans or even, you know, large prey. They're, they're, again, they spent all their time in the water. Yeah. So they were viewed as very shy, not threatening, but they would scare people. If you saw this big animal pop out of the water near you. Absolutely, I would be scared to death. You'd be scared, but no one was getting hurt by them. Yeah. And in fact, during droughts, it was said that they would hibernate. They'd burrow underground into the mud and hibernate waiting for the rains to come. So given this description there of the teeth, this behavior kind of makes sense because to me, the flat teeth sound like they were eating aquatic plants, don't they? Yeah. To me, I mean, I don't know. Isn't that what the flat teeth are for? If you think, it's grinding plants, grinding plant matter. The four canines, who knows, maybe they're used for defense, maybe they're used for interspecies, you know, battles, like, you know, males battling for mates or something like that, maybe? I don't know. And 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 this agrees with the what the tribes people said because they all said, oh, they're, they're not fish eaters. They're not eating fish. I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure how, exactly how they know that, but yeah. And again, never attacking anybody, never taking down large prey, right. even even presumably uh, other animals, mm-hmm. four foot animals swimming in the water. The birds would leave them alone. Stoner Mills, though, found no sign of the burrow when they visited. But they didn't lose all hope because they visited, they finally got to the end, to the valley and were there during the dry season. So they're thinking maybe whatever burrows are left are um, hibernating, hibernating or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I say burrows. You gotta be careful. Buru. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming it's buru. B U R U again. Undeterred, Stoner struck out again in search of the buru in 1948, three years later. This time, though, he brought along a guy named Ralph. Izzard, or actually Izzard really kind of brought him along. So Izzard was a journalist. He was working for the Daily Mail. He was posted in Delhi in India. And he had some soiree, I'm sure drinking tea, probably whiskey and cigars afterward with pith helmets on, I imagine. (laughs) And he heard about this creature that Stoner had written about and, and so had the German professor. And he was just instantaneously he was hooked yeah he needed to go and find this burrow he's kind of he was a journalist but he was like an adventurous journalist he would go out yeah. into the wilds and bring back stories he was he was known for that so he heard about stoner someone said oh yeah and the guy to talk to is this anthropologist charles stoner he's been out there he's actually talked to those people get in touch with him so is or did so since the 1945 expedition, Stoner apparently had heard that, hey, there's another valley. Not, I, I don't know how far it was. And it gets a little, I'll be honest, it gets a little confusing between, did they go back to the same valley? Did they go to a different valley? The accounts kind of differ. I'm not completely sure. I think the second valley, though, in the 1948 expedition was a different valley than Stoner had visited in 1945, which I believe was the same valley that the German professor had visited the year before. Okay. Got it? Yep. I think. So... There was a valley called the Apatani Valley, but and and where the Tan tribe lived, and that's spelled T A N W. Not gonna guess what the W does. I'm just mm. gonna call them the Tan. Could be way off. I don't know. Sometimes those people are also called the Apatani, so it gets very again confusing. But this is 20 mile or so valley. It's one of the most isolated places on Earth. Again, yeah. it's in the far northeast. It's uh, in jungle, marshy land. Izzard gets money from the Daily Mail. They even got Earl Mount 
Batten, Batten, El Mount Batten, the governor of India, yeah, the Earl of Burma or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> it was one of his many titles, I'm sure. He chipped in a little bit. He was interested in in, in the story and this creature as well. And Izzard and Stoner were on their way toward the Rilo Valley or the Apatani Valley, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, the travel brutal, absolutely brutal. They, I mean, they had obviously. I'm sure they had dozens of porters and tons of supply and things like that. But the two of them, well, you're walking through heavily forested, very rough, very hilly or mountainous terrain. It's raining heavily very often. You're wading through leech-infested rivers and, and I'm sure swamps and things like that. And you're beset by hordes of mosquitoes and something called the dim dam fly. You ever heard of a dim dam fly? Nope. This is probably the worst thing they faced. There the dim-dam fly? The dim-dam fly, really. Oh, wow. They are called the, quote, secret enemy of the hills, end quote. It's because they carry diseases. Yeah. And some of them can be absolutely debilitating. Sounds Uh-oh. like the CZ fly a little bit. Uh, a bite from a dim-dam fly can cause a sufferer to just, for like two weeks long, be just unbelievably weak to the point of paralysis to the point where you really can't you lay there and you can't even lift your arm to swipe other dim damn flies away from your mouth i mean it's just i mean an insane level of weakness the area around the bite i guess is just unbearably itchy oh no you can't they probably have to put a cone over your hands to stop you from itching but you don't have the energy to you don't have to i mean luckily you don't have that but you're still suffering nonstop from that horrific itch with no energy whatsoever, I'm sure you feel sick and awful as well. Yeah. So it was no fun. Well. But again, they had dozens of porters and things like that. Yeah. So, but still, the and and you know this is written up by Izzard later on. So uh, maybe some exaggeration. Who knows? The Tan people told the Englishmen of the same huge beast that had been described to Stoner before, and Stoner was certain he's, that these were this, this was the same creature and it kind of to him it verified yeah this is a creature there was a population at least two populations this is something real they're describing this different people who didn't have contact with the first people are describing the exact same creature to him he was very excited he, he was a believer i think so again they said this is a creature is aquatic it's shy but they noted that when pressed it had been known to protect itself from attack so there's a story about a hunter who had gone out hunting, I guess, mm-hmm. in the swampy areas, and he took aim at a young burrow, or he went after, I don't know exactly, he went after a young burrow, yeah. attacked it, burrow, <laughs> and the mother jumped out of the water, rushed at him, and whipped him savagely with his tail, knocked him into the water where he drowned. Oh. Another version has uh, the, the uh, mother coming after him, Biting him by, I don't know, whatever, some body part, and then dragging him under the water where he, where he drowned. So, either way, he drowned. Yeah. The hunter was dead. This terrified the people of the valley. They're worried, oh, oh, maybe the burrow are going to continue to attack us. Well, it didn't attack. It, it didn't attack. Yeah. It was very, very, that, that attack was very deserved. Yeah. It's protecting its young and that kind of aggression, if you want to call it that, was completely at odds with its history. But right. it doesn't yeah. matter. When you know, it's funny, you can have one person die and what do you do? Yeah. Kill them all. Kill them all, you do. And that's what they did. The Apatani also, by the way, needed more land for rice cultivation. Oh. So the whole bottom of the valley, the swampy area, was gonna be very, very fertile if they 
drained it. Right. So they did. Okay. They drained the entire swampy area, with the, which was the borough's habitat, and effectively, very likely, wiped out the borough in doing that. Oh. Occasionally, one or two were seen by for a, another few years or so, and some were thought to have burrowed into the mud. If they did so, though, it's going to be a very long way because they, they, you know, there was not ever going to be yeah. water there. There's just it really there's no swamps there. It's just rice paddies and um, and and maybe just springs and things like that. But none of the the kind of terrain that they need or the kind of habitat they need. So, but then then a few years after this draining incident, where they wiped out most of the burrows, if not almost all of them. A girl went to a spring to get water, and suddenly a burrow had popped up. She screamed, ran away, ran back to the village. She told her dad. Her dad told village elders. So about a few days later, they all got together. Basically, the whole tribe went to that spring, and they completely filled it up with rocks and dirt and clay, stuff like that. So if there was one or two left, it was now gone. They didn't have respect for the animals in their environment? No, no. I mean, I don't know why I would expect them to. There is it's a little bit of a myth that, oh, Native peoples have respect for their yeah. animals and da-da-da-da-da. No, I they mean, just why? don't have the technology to kill them all. Yeah. And they have. There have been many cases where, you know, yeah. Native peoples have a Rapanui, where they deforested their entire yeah. islands. Well, uh, but so, they didn't know. No, well, still. It's not, it's not, there is that kind of, you know mystification yeah. that they they always live in balance that's yeah. just you know they, they're technologically they're roughly balanced that's of all of course yeah but speaking of Rapanui I just saw something that like they were trying to plant trees to mm-hmm. replace the oh, ones I'm sure they were they, they couldn't okay. possibly keep up with them okay. I imagine right so, so so they realized the error of their ways they did they were trying to, to correct their mistakes sadly correct, sadly yeah. <laughs> and once you wiped out the last burrow, there's no more to take their place. It's not nope. clear how long this occurred before Stoner was told this story. But it's, I mean, the elders would tell him, so it could have been a story passed down for generations. So yeah. we don't we don't know. It, there are some hints that it may have been relatively recent. Certainly, it wasn't crazy long ago. I don't think they. Had, I can't remember exactly. I don't think they had lived in that valley all that long. Mm-hmm. So these these burrows could have been. The last of the burrows, the draining of the swamp, could have been a few hundred years ago, could have been a hundred years ago, could have been 50 years ago, yeah. when he was told. So this was 1948. Right. So we don't know. In 1951, Izzard published a book he called The Hunt for the Burrow. And it was basically the story of their expedition and what they had discovered. The expedition, though, as we can tell, found absolutely no evidence. They didn't find any bones, anything like that. They found no evidence of the burrow other than they did see a few suggested shadow, shadows under the water. But pretty shallow water, so almost certainly not a burrow, yeah. not a living burrow anyway. And again, the story told by the people makes it pretty clear that the burrow was extinct, and they considered it extinct, the actual inhabitants there at the time. Right. So I don't know. Who knows? There might be some bones that can be found, or maybe there's an isolated village where there still could be some living ones. But if the burrow ever existed, it probably no longer does. Right. So what was it? There are theories. Yes. One of the theories is that it was a type of crocodile. Yeah. Some kind of a maybe herbivorous crocodile with flattish yeah. teeth. And it sounds like that. It could be. It does sound like that to me, too. It's possible. I, 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 have a, I think I have a better possibility of that here in a second. Another, some folks think, is a surviving dinosaur. In fact, who was it? God, I can't remember. One of, some cryptozoologist said, oh, it's a surviving dinosaur. You know why I think so? It's because the armored plates along the tail 
reminds me of a stegosaurus. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's some kind of relative of the stegosaurus that has survived and lives in the water. It's just stupid. So it's not yeah. a dinosaur, obviously. To a cryptozoologist named Carl Schuker, he thought the ability to hibernate, perhaps, and dig into the mud was, to, to him, reminiscent of a species of fish that are found in South America. They're called the Arapaima or the Piraruku. And these fish, again, they're huge. They can get 10 feet long, 500 pounds in oh, weight. Wow. Yeah, they're huge fish in, in like the Amazon area. Yeah. And they breathe air, by the way, rather than draw oxygen through gills. Really? And they do indeed burrow and hibernate into the mud. And so he thought he huh. maybe it's a fish. Doesn't sound, I mean, clearly Doesn't you have like legs, fish, though. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, you, you, you do have some fish with little legs, but... It's yeah. not a fish. I don't think it's, it's just fish. again. It's like the last, you know, the armor plates says dinosaurs, stegosaurus, yeah. and the fact that it hibernates. You're going to ignore kind of everything else and call it a fish just because it hibernates. That's that's not enough. But don't other like amphibious or reptiles do that? Uh, uh, frogs can. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. But so yeah. I, mean, I I don't know if reptile other reptiles do or not. To be honest yeah. with you, I don't know. Maybe it's. And who knows? Maybe it was a situation where they just made themselves scarce and went into the shallows during the dry season, but didn't really, I don't right. know how they know that yeah. they burrowed. Um, and they sleep and maybe they burrowed for food and that's why they had the closet they had. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. It's more possible than the stegosaurus yeah. relative, but it's, it doesn't sound very likely at all. No, I don't think it's fish. I think the buru was almost certainly what it sounds like. That is a gigantic lizard. Yeah. That it was probably a member of the monitor lizard family. I mean, they get huge. Yeah. The Komodo dragon is uh, that lives on those few islands in the Indonesian archipelago is yeah. a monitor lizard that can get up to 10 feet long. So it's, it wouldn't have been much bigger than a Komodo would have been the biggest modern monitor lizard, but not, and by the way, not the biggest monitor lizard of all time. The Megalania was bigger, yeah. and, but it would have been a little bit bigger than the Komodo dragon, but not unreasonable by any stretch. Monitor lizards also are, can be very well adapted to water. The Komodo dragon has been seen, like, I think miles out to sea. Really? And swims between those few islands that it lives on. Yeah. So they're very, so why couldn't you have this very large monitor lizard that has become or became completely adapted to an aquatic lifestyle? Yeah. And again, the teeth. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, are, would lizards be plant eaters? There are some lizards that are plant eaters. There are some turtles. There are some outright oh, turtles, yeah. lizards that are iguanas are also plant eaters. Oh, okay. The te- and the teeth say these aren't plant eaters, and the pe- people of that valley said these are not fish eaters. Right. So, I you know that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. I think it was a giant, probably herbivorous, monitor lizard that had adapted to a completely aquatic lifestyle and was living in just a few isolated valleys until. Hopefully, probably relatively recent times, if fingers crossed. Yeah. Still. So in my mind, if you call the Buru a cryptid, it's I think is the best chance of there being an actual cryptid in the world. I think is my if I had to say what cryptid do you think really could exist, I would say the, the, my first in that list would be the Buru. If it is alive still, then for sure it's a cryptid because it's a, a it's a you know a thought extinct animal yeah. that is still alive, or or it's certainly a hidden animal. But so it could be essentially that makes it kind of an extinct cryptid, doesn't it? Yeah. If it is it's extinct, but even if it's extinct in the last few hundred years, that qualified as a cryptid because we science never knew anything about it, never right. acknowledged it, never named it. So that would, in my mind, that would make it a cryptid. 
But what that means is that we have to find some bones. We have to find yeah. some something, some teeth. You would think there's got to be something. You would think. Still. But uh, yeah, I know. But again, this but that no area's looking, right? No, no yeah. one's looking. We yeah. don't know where that. Like the best place to go would be the, where is that? Show us exactly that spring where that little girl saw the burrow <laughs> yeah. head and they buried the last one in rocks and clay. But no one knows what that is. So you'd have to, you know, you have to dig up the bottom of the valley, which I'm sure is just rice cultivation for the most part. Right. I imagine. So yeah. yeah. But I think I again, I think the burrow is the best case for an actual cryptid in, in ever. Okay. If you had to ask me that. I'm not saying it's the only one, but Guess I think... Guess what? What? I'm not going to ask Just you. ask me. Ask me, <laughs> nope, ask me. I'm ask not me, asking ask you. No. Nope. I really wanted you to ask me. So that is the story of the Buru here in the quick cryptid corner. Thanks, Dean. We hope you enjoyed that. Until the next one. Which I'm sure there will be one. For sure there's going to be one. And again, <laughs> if you have any um, ones you want to hear about, Again, not not the big ones. Big ones we'll do a full episode on, but something that just there's, there's you know something to the story, but not too much to the story. That's perfect for the quick cryptid corner. corner. I can't believe I said that twice Me in a neither. row, flawlessly. Okay. Okay. Until next time. Thanks for listening.